Um, before I start, is there somebody that could run and grab my water? Um, it's in my, my backpack underneath my display table on the side of it. Um, I want to start off by reading 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. Well, let's, let's back up to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, that you are blessed, and do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. So right in the middle of this verse, um, in, in this passage, is talking about suffering and having a good witness. Uh, and, you know, no matter what people do to you, make sure that your conscience is clear so that um, people that start off accusing you are going to end up feeling ashamed of that. But in the middle of this is this very important passage that says, um, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Are there any nerds in the room? Does anybody know what the Greek word for defense is in this passage? The Greek, what's that? Yes. I'm not sure if it's apologia or apology or something like that. It's the word from which we get the, it's the Greek root of apologetics. This is what we talk today about defense for the faith. And the word apologia, I think it's apologia in the Greek, comes from the law courts. And the idea is that if somebody accuses you, well, we just had somebody, you guys had somebody in your community that was in court and in law. Um, and you don't just stand up and say, look, I believe that I'm innocent. Um, I'm a nice guy and you should just take it, my word for it. You, you hire a lawyer and they, they pre pre present something very well thought out and, and clear and articulate and here's all the reasons and here's all the proof for why you know, I'm innocent or why I didn't do the crime. And so what Peter is saying is when somebody asks you for the hope and, and hopefully, like the, the point of this, the bigger point of this is live a testimony. You know, even when you're, you're being persecuted, even when you're being hurt, even when you're being maligned, live a testimony so that people get ashamed and they're like, what? what's going on with you? I keep on hurting you, I keep on offending you, I keep on wronging you, and you just keep coming back with love. And at that point, be ready with reasons for your faith. Uh, and this is what we get, the, uh, the concept and the idea of apologetics, that we need to be re ready with an answer to people that ask us the hard questions about our faith. So uh, I had kind of a fun thing planned. I had other th went through other ideas uh, of what I could do for this morning. Um, but I want to play a game with you guys called Stump the Professor. And I want you guys to ask me the hardest questions you can possibly think of. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to try and answer them in, in obedience to First Peter 3.15. Now, if I don't know the answer, I'll just say I don't know. Uh, but what I'm looking for is specifically, um, you know, w when you have somebody that was a Christian and loses their faith and they tell you why. You know, I can't believe in a God because of X, Y, and Z. Ask me some of those questions. Or if you're trying to share your faith with somebody and you just, they're like, I can't believe in Christianity because of these reasons. Well, ask me some of these reasons. Ask me some of these questions because this is what I really enjoy doing. This is what I'm going to talk about in a second. I do apologetics on a secular university campus. Um, and here's the deal. If you don't ask me questions, I'm going to start asking you questions. So, <laughs> um, who's going to start it off? What, what's a really hard question that people have 
in our in our world in our day why Christianity is false or why they can't be a Christian. Yes, absolutely. So the problem of pain is probably the oldest and still the most difficult problem for Christianity. And especially when you really go through something that's really hard, oftentimes people will lose their faith. Sometimes people go through something really hard and they gain faith, which is interesting because it kind of points us to the fact that it's not so much about the hardship, it's about your perspective on it and your expectations of what God should do um, in that situation. The problem of pain, we need to divide it into two different categories. There's the emotional problem of pain and the intellectual problem of pain. So the emotional problem of pain, you have somebody like Job, loses his family, loses his house, loses everything, and he's sitting on the ground and he's hurting emotionally. And this is not the time to be like Job's friends and convince him that he did something wrong and, and try and, and resolve you know, all the intellectual problems. He needs a friend. And eventually God's going to lead him through that to where he says, you know, through that whole experience and through the whole, you know, what God led him through, he eventually said, I've heard about you with the hearing of the ears, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. That there is something about pain that draws us, if we go through that, towards God. Um, But there's also the intellectual problem of pain. And there's people that aren't necessarily suffering, but they're looking at the world and they're looking at you know, suffering in Africa, they're looking at cancer, they're looking at, you know, kids that are hurt and they're saying, how could there be a good God when there is suffering in the world? And this is, a, this is an intellectual problem that we need to confront intellectually. And um, the, the main answer to this that has, was developed uh, by Augustine and others back in the fourth century and before by the early church and is still helpful today is to say, look, God is powerful, God is all-powerful, but he is not able to do things that are incoherent. Okay, God cannot create a square triangle. He can create either a square or a triangle, but he can't create a square triangle because that's a contradiction in terms. Okay, so he, when God creates, he limits himself by what he creates. And in creating free will creatures, creatures that could choose of their own will to do this or to do that, to do good or to do evil, Inherent within that, cre- that creation was a limitation that God couldn't create a free will creature that could freely choose to love and to worship and to do good of their own free will and also at the same time create a creature that always did everything perfectly. If he was going to create something that always did everything perfectly and never did any sin, it wouldn't be free. And so when God created free will, he created with it the possibility of sin. He created Adam, put him in the garden, said... Here's all this for you. Here's the tree of life. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eat this tree. Don't eat that tree. And inherent within the the creation of free will is the the possibility of sin and evil. And um, And so because God created free will, he did create the possibility of evil. Uh, in, in free choices. And you might say, well, why would God create free will knowing that it was going to go wrong? If, if somebody created a train and then made a train tracks that were broken, you'd say, well, it's still their fault that the, the train went off the tracks. I mean, the, the, the train tracks were broken. 
Uh, God knew, having foreknowledge, God knew that the train was going to go off the tracks. Why did he create it? And certainly some of God's reasons are going to be beyond us because he is infinite. He is, his ways are not our ways. They're above our ways. Um, but having a free will creature that is able to make free choices to love, free choices to worship God, um, seems to be a better uh, thing to create than just a robot that has no free will. And so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell how, how I would answer the question of uh, the problem of evil. What about when it looks like suffering does not come from yeah. people themselves and their free will? What if it looks like he ordains it? Like in the ultimate, oh, the so many okay. So I thought you were going to talk about earthquakes and volcanoes and stuff like that. Uh, so I'm going to answer that because I got excited about it. Um, so um, there's natural evil and there's uh, moral evil in the world. There's earthquakes, volcanoes, things that, you know, nature itself kills people. And then there's moral evil, there's rape and murder and, and killing. And it, it seems hard to explain why the world is a terrible place that kills people. Um, unless you go back to the Garden of Eden and God said because of the sin of man the earth is now cursed and now there is you know, natural evil where before uh, there was protection for the human race. Now the problem of, of God killing people in the Old Testament is you know, a large issue um, and you really need to have um, you need to have an understanding of who God is as the ultimate moral being you know, when we say God was not just to kill people, it was wrong for God to kill people. What we're not saying is, I, pre I don't prefer that God killed people. We're saying it was wrong um, for God to kill the Amalekites or, or, or whatever, or to, to kill the Israelites. Now, this concept of right and wrong, that in a bigger sense than you or I, I mean, I like, let's say I like chocolate ice cream and you like vanilla. It's a personal preference. There is no right or wrong to this question. But when we talk about, you know, killing somebody or murder, that is something bigger than you and I. There's something, what we'd say, objective. Even if nobody in the whole world agreed with this, it would still be wrong. This is the idea of objective, that it's higher than us. And so when you say, well, God did something wrong, what you're saying is God did something objectively wrong, not just that I disagree with it. Um, but there's a problem because God is the source and the center of goodness. When we say this this was wrong, um, what we mean is that it's wrong in an absolute, eternal, bigger sense. And the only one that has access to knowing what is absolute good, absolute evil, is God himself, who knows the beginning from the end, who has moral perfection, who has the ability to make these sorts of decisions. And so um, the only way that we can critique God is by appealing to God's authority without realizing it and saying something is objectively wrong. So that's one way of answering the question. Um, a more complicated way is to say God had bigger, God had uh, morally sufficient reasons for protecting the Israelite people, for chastising the Israelite people, for protecting them, because through them Jesus was going to be born. Um, and so in the Old Testament, it's a very different situation than we have now. Uh, we were talking about this in regards to pacifism and how sometimes people recast their country in the, in the place of, of the Israelites, and that's very wrong. The Old Testament does not apply to us anymore. But it was a very special time when the people of God and the nation of God um, were the same thing. The, the people of God were the nation of God, and 
and Satan was trying to defeat and, and crush that nation to prevent Jesus from being born. Uh, and so we need to understand what was going on in the Old Testament, and that helps us to understand why God would allow, why God would directly cause things like uh, large-scale killings and, and slaughters in the Old Testament. Um, does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. Yeah. He has the right to do it. This is one where like I can answer it satisfactorily to me within a Christian worldview. Yeah, it's really hard for somebody that, that is really dogmatic about God being evil to really explain it. But as you said, well, if I could summarize what you said, for God to kill, it's not murder. And if you believe scriptures, how they're written, I mean, God is the one that gives us life. He's the creator. He's our father. When he gives his spirit, life comes, in, it says in Psalms 104, when he takes his spirit away, everything dies. So it's, it's only through, in, in uh, Colossians, it talks about how God, how Jesus is the maker and creator and sustainer of all things. He sustains things. So, you know, it's like we're renting a house from him and he can evict us anytime he wants. And it's not, uh, he's not morally culpable for evicting us from life, you know, that he gave to us and he's sustaining us in. Um, and also that, you know, all of us like sheep have gone astray. The wages of sin is death. Um, all of us have sinned, therefore God could kill us all today and he would be morally justified in doing so because that's what we deserve. Um, something that, uh, this is something what I think, I don't know if that's the answer, but I look at Middle East, the way they train those little ones up, mm. when they grow up, they just keep on killing, killing. And I kind of think the same way, sometimes if God got rid of a whole nation of babies and everything, sometimes I think it's maybe the same way they, mm. they would just grow up and they would just do the same thing that these grown-ups are doing now, all these evil things. Yeah. That's kind of something to what I think. Yeah, I, I think that, well, it, God says, you know, that he didn't lead the Israelites into the Promised Land and um, move the people out of the way, allow them to kill them, and, and in some cases move them out of the way because of the righteousness of the Israelites, but because of the sins of the Canaanites. And that God had decided that these people who were sacrificing their children, burning them alive, and you know all sorts of other practices associated with that. He said, this, this is not good for the human race, for this religion to continue. He wanted that people to be done with. Uh, and I think that does explain a little bit why, because um, it is hard, you know, God said, men, women, and children, you know, get rid of all of them. And you think, what, what did the children have to do with that? Um, but I think it was, they were passing on a culture and a religion that would have been very, detrimental to the future generations and also would have endangered the nation of Israel which is the hope of all the nations. Again, I mean it is kind of hard to um, get through all that with a skeptic um, but I think it does make sense from the inside of, of our religion. I have a question. It's yeah. not so much what God would do. I have a question is um, if you bring uh, somebody up um, believing in Jesus or God train them to church, and then all of a sudden they just want nothing to do with church anymore. They just totally astray and just go with the world. But is there any answers in the Bible for that? 
I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, I got four kids and another one on the way. And I, it's a daily prayer for me. Like, God, I want my kids, you know, you do the best you can. But you know that people make their own choices, too. Um, you know, the, the verse that comes to mind right away is in Proverbs. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and in the end they will not depart from it. Uh, but we need to understand this is wisdom literature. This is principles. Um, you know, it also says things like uh, when you sow... Uh, I mean, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but there's many principles in, in Proverbs that aren't like a rule for life. Like, it's not a promise that if you raise a kid perfectly, they will never abandon their faith. Um, and that can be a relief for parents, understanding that kids are going to make their own choices and it's not your fault. Um, is there one thing I can say about that? I mean, it kind of feels like you told me, well, I, I fed my kid everything and I, I gave them exercise and all of a sudden they got sick. What happened? I'm like, go to a doctor. I, I mean, it could be a million things, you know? I, I mean, they, they could have got hurt somewhere in church. They, they, they could be rebelling and it could be a sin thing. There could be a, a question that their teacher got, gave them in school. Like, I, I have no idea. There's a million things that, um, that could be wrong. Um, but I guess we just need to keep praying and... and uh, I will say this before we go to the next question. Um, I, I, heard a pa I heard a pastor speaking recently and somebody asked him something like this. This was an older pastor that had a lot more wisdom and, and, and the person was saying, what can I do to, to fix my kids, you know, that are rebelling? And he said, you know, there's not a lot you can do, you can say that will make change things for the better. You've already said everything you're going to say. But there's a lot of things you can say to change things for the worse. You know, there's a lot of things you can say to burn bridges, to, to communicate that I don't trust you, to communicate that you, you did something wrong. Um, and sometimes we just need to be quiet and love and, and let kids go through uh, what they need to go through. Um, yeah, and there's not easy answers for these things. Yeah? Uh, on the same, along the same lines of what was already asked, Christians can have it both ways. Either God is not almighty, Hmm. Or he has more money, he doesn't care. Yeah. About the world yeah. That's what you're doing. Yeah, and I, I, I would like to know what they, what people would like God to do. You know, w w would you like God to take away your free will? So you wake up tomorrow and, and you, you're in a straight jacket, you know, and you, and you walk down to the food pantry and you start volunteering and doing your stuff, and then you're walking home and you want to buy some cigarettes, but you get this electric shock and you can't buy cigarettes. And not saying that cigarettes is a terrible sin or whatever. But you go to buy pornography, whatever, and then, you know, God starts shocking you so that you can't do that, and then you're robotically walking along. I mean, it's a little bit ridiculous, but, you know, God has given us free will. And it, it doesn't do any good to blame God for giving us free will. We need to take, a, take uh, responsibility for the choices we have for the life that we have. The really hard thing is when other people's free will hurts us, you know. And that's why the main thing Jesus talked about, you know, when God became flesh and dwelt among us, the main thing he talked about was forgiveness. And helping us understand that when we forgive, uh, we can find freedom from that pain. And that we live in a just society where people don't just get away with it. We might think they're getting away with it, but they're not. Because God will judge and God sees and he says, um, you know, do not take your own vengeance, but leave room for the wrath of God. You know, and, and that we, when people hurt us and hurt people we love, we can release that to God knowing there is justice. Uh, but the justice isn't going to come from me. What's that? It's not only for the atheist and the non-Christian part to understand. Yeah. The 
For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is hard to look at the world and say, God, why, why are you doing this? You know. And when we have it easy right now, I mean, we didn't live through the Second World War and the Holocaust and all that stuff, you know. Um, but even through those times, and now, you know, 70 years later, we're getting the stories, you know, the Corey Ten Booms and, and the Dietrich Bonhoeffer stories of how even through the darkest night, you know, God was creating his saints. You know, and in, in many ways, they were going through something similar to the early church. And the stories of suffering and martyrdoms that, that have become so precious to us, you know, that, those were really dark times where I'm sure people were saying, God, what is going on? Why is Nero the emperor? You know, um, and uh, that's not to say, well, here's the answer, you know. It's for this. I mean, we don't know the answer to most of these questions. For me, I always tell the at the end, the end of the story, yeah. it turned out very well because what we see in the world right now is birth pangs. Yeah. It's still increasing and getting worse. But it's just like childbearing when the hunger is the woman experiences all that pain after all of his life. Yeah. That's how the end will be. Life will come up when, when this is all said and done. It will be gone. It will be a thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that because because of the end, no matter what's happening here, like, like you said, it's like the the birth pangs. It's painful, but there's a purpose to it. And since you didn't ask this question, but I, maybe I'll segue into something else. Is that you know, Christianity? When maybe when you're a young person, you feel like oh, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, you know, and you want to become an atheist. But atheism, when you're suffering, has no answers. Has no hope. Because you go through a hard time. I mean, it's exciting when you're young, you're healthy, you're relatively rich, and you get to do whatever you want. Yeah, it's fun to be an atheist. But what about when you're sick? What about when you're suffering? What about when your kids are suffering? And, or somebody hurts you, um, violates you in a way that you will never have justice in this life. There's no hope. There's no meaning. There's no sense. Uh, and I think Christianity gives us a tremendous amount of, okay, no matter what happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get sorted out on the other side because God is just. And I think that is a tremendously helpful um, thing to know, really. A guy at work one time approached me and he knew I was Christian. He says, so Adam and Eve, they had Cain and Abel, right? And then, who did they marry? (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid he'd ask me that question. You know, there's a few in the beginning of Genesis. If, I mean, the Nephilim too. Um, you know, the sons of uh, the sons of God came down, married, had kids. They were giants. You know, and, and Cain and Abel he got married to somebody. And then when Cain got the mark on his on his forehead, he said, um, or when Cain killed his brother, he said, uh, "People are going to kill me." You know, what people? It was just his parents. You know, um, and, and so the. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um, you can go two directions with it, obviously. You can say either um, by this time his parents had already had a bunch of kids and, or he was looking to the future knowing there would be other kids uh, and that society would come or else maybe there were other people around. But then you say, well, what happened? I thought Adam and Eve were special in the garden. Um, 
I don't I don't know what to do with that, honestly. Yeah. And I would I would go to a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. Well, this is supposed to answer a different question, but he said it, it's all fine and well to talk about making it more simple or, or why is it so complicated. Um, he, he said it's all fine and well to ask for it to be more simple if it's something made up. But this is something that's true, and, and I can't help that it's complicated. I can't help that it's messy. You know, God inspired probably Moses around 4,000 years ago to write down Genesis. And, and he was writing stuff that happened 4,000 years before him. And he was using the sources he had, and he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down... Um, do I have the time frame right? Or, or was it 2,000? Anyways, you know, before him. Um, and, and he was inspired to write correctly what happened. Um, but if I, can un I can't necessarily understand everything that he meant to say, or everything that he did say. It, it was written a very long time ago. Uh, and there's going to be questions, you know. Uh, and I don't... I can't iron out the questions, all of the questions. I, I think that's just part of the fact that our religion is true and sometimes it's messy. I mean, the world is true and science is confused sometimes about contradictions in the world. And there's going to be things... But, you know, in, in saying that, there are people that study this question better than I am. I'm kind of punting on it a little bit. But if you, if you went online and, and searched this question at answers.org or looked at the Apologetics Bible, they would have a much better answer to this question than I have, you know. But I think it's okay too if you don't have that right answer either, right? Yeah. Like you said, people believe it's faith. Yeah. So you have seen somebody and they just want to throw all these uh, one dimensions in there. How do you can say, you know what, you can choose to believe or, or not believe it? Yeah. That's like you said, choice. Yeah. You can't force someone to believe or they want to find fault in their own way, they always will. Yeah. Find a reason not to believe. Yeah, and at some point, um, uh, Blaise Pascal said that the heart has reasons of which reason knows nothing, uh, which means that we believe things intellectually because of emotional reasons, oftentimes. You know, you, you reason to a certain point and then you make a decision with your heart. Uh, and that's true for everybody for every decision, like for, for major life decisions. It's, there's atheists that are atheists for emotional reasons and there's Christians that are Christians for emotional reasons. And by emotional, I mean making a decision with your heart whether or not you trust God. And the concept of faith, as I understand it, is I believe that somebody is trustworthy. And at some point you decide that God is trustworthy or you decide that he is not. Um, and when you get to, to things you don't know, and I would very much encourage you when you hit questions that you don't know to, to pursue the truth, to pursue the answers. Um, but you're always going to have one more question. And you need to trust that, um, that God is worthy of our, of our faith. There are more questions. What's that? It's like the age of the earth and that's evolution. Uh-huh. Like people seem to be ingrained in society that are just facts. Mm-hmm. And to try to like talk to somebody as if the Bible is fact. Mm-hmm. And like like that's always a sticking point. Like whenever you try to talk to go back to the flood or something like that, that's where you know, I I just 
trying to say, and yet for a lot of people it's very fundamental like they can't you know the, the Bible does talk about uh, stumbling stones you know and, and uh, Jesus said it's inevitable that stumbling stones come but woe to the person through whom they come you know and there's people that would be moving towards Jesus but there's something in their way that you know just I can't get past this you know um, evolution or, or the age of the earth um, and a big part of my ministry on campus is removing these stones and saying, actually, we have a good answer to evolution. Actually, we have a good answer to the problem of evil. And I was able, through the course of two years, to see somebody who was absolutely antagonistic and had all these walls built up to progressing to where she said... I just need to be five minutes. We have five minutes. Oh, boy. Okay, I thought we had more time. Um, that I believe in God. Uh, she didn't believe in Jesus yet, but she believed in God uh, because I was able to take these things out. Um, and just briefly, the way that I answered that question, the age of the earth and evolution, is to say, within the church, and I know this is a really contentious issue, but there's at least four different perspectives. You know, there's people that are six-day creationists, 6,000 years ago, you know, Ken Ham. There's all the resources there at creationism.org. There's also people that believe uh, in evolution. And they are Christians and they believe in evolution. And, and there's that perspective. And then there's people that believe that the earth is very old, but God created all biological life. Uh, and there's um, reasons to believe with uh, Hugh Ross. Um, he believes that the earth is very old, but that it was God that created biological life. And so you have these different options. And I'm not, I'm not saying that they're right. I'm just saying, look, you don't have to trip over this stone. You know, if this is a do or die issue, there are Christians that believe in evolution. There are Christians that believe in the Big Bang and in Old Earth. Um, and, and to me, I feel like it's more important to just get past that hurdle. I mean, uh, another issue uh, that I feel even more strongly about is, is feminism. And I'm very much a complementarian. You guys probably know what complementarian is. Um, not patriarchal, but complementarian. Um, but I'm, I'm working in the most feminist population in the world, according to some. The Quebec, you know, uh, women don't even change their last name. They don't get married because, you know, they don't want to be limited. Um, and this girl I'm thinking of, that was a big issue, that the Bible's treatment of women was a huge issue for her. And I said, look, within the church, there's people that interpret it patriarchal. There's people that interpret these verses in a complementarian way. People that interpret them in an egalitarian way, like Bruxy Cavey. Uh, and then there's, there's people that are feminists. And I'm right here, you know, I'm complementarian over here with Mark Driscoll and some others. Uh, and this is what I believe is true, you know, but don't get tripped, don't go to hell because you don't agree with me on this issue. You know, this is not a do or die issue. Uh, if, if you, if this is tripping you up, like, go listen to Bruxy Cavey, become an egalitarian, or I don't even care if you become a feminist. I mean, we'll deal with that later, you know. Just come to Jesus, you know. Uh, and, and so I'm really passionate about getting people to understand the essential things. And then we can agree to disagree. Well, I mean, I mean, that's still one that just gets me. Like, I really feel strongly about that. Um, but it's not the heart. You know, you can still repent of your sins and find salvation. And that, to me, like, let's, let's focus on what's really important first. Um, five minutes means I probably don't have time for another question. Oh, three minutes. Three minutes. All right. Who's got the last question? Um, what do you say to people who want proof of God's existence? Oh, what do I say? Okay. Um, 
one of the proofs that I love to start with is the Big Bang. So that now I'm, I'm talking um, about science that is well established, that everybody agrees on, that the universe came into existence a certain time ago. Now, people used to think the universe was eternal. If the, world, if the universe is eternal, then we don't have any problem talking about evolution because we have an infinity of time to talk about it. We don't have problems talking about the solar system being, being finely tuned because we have an infinity of time. But science now tells us that the universe came into being. And what it actually tells us is not just matter, but time, energy, space, and matter came into being at a certain point in the past. So before that, there was no before because time was invented. Time came into being. Before the Big Bang, there was no time. There was no before. There was no matter. There was no space. And so what this says, so you say, well, what, what could have caused it? What could have caused the Big Bang? Well, it must be something that is spaceless, timeless, um, powerful, and immaterial. Because it couldn't be matter because matter was created. It couldn't be something in time because time was created. It had to be something powerful and it had to be something, forget the last one, uh, outside of time. And the other thing that they're finding is that the, that the Big Bang was incredibly finely tuned. They're talking about precision like 10 to the, to the billionth or whatever, like 10 to the 10 to the 10, like incredible fine tuning of the universe that all these things, how much energy and how much the strong and weak force of the protons, um, if these things weren't extremely fine-tuned, nothing would have happened. The universe couldn't exist. And so it must be something that put it into existence must have been intelligent as well. And so that to me, it, right away I, get, I grab people and then I say, well, did you know that not just is the universe finely tuned, but our solar system is finely tuned? If, the, if we were a, a different distance from the sun, we wouldn't have liquid water. If, there was an iron at the center of the earth, we wouldn't have a magnetosphere, which means that the, the solar wind from the sun would strip off all the gases from our planet and, and we would die. Jupiter is an extremely huge planet that is abnormally large. And what that does, is it goes through our solar system and, and sucks up all the rocks from our solar system. Um, and the moon is very large for our planet, very unusual size. And what that does is slows down the rotation of the earth and allows for the tides to flow. And you can just Google um, the Goldilocks conditions for a life-permitting planet, and there's about 70 things that have to be in place for a planet to produce life. And you look at all this and you say, is it more reasonable to say that all this stuff happened by chance or to say that there was some being out there that cared enough to start this universe off and then to create a place where there was the possibility of life? And so th those are the things that get me excited because it is science that everybody agrees on. The big question in science right now in cosmology is why is the universe finely tuned? That is what everybody is asking. Why is the universe finely tuned? This isn't a Christian question. This is cosmologists. This is people that are studying the stars and studying the universe. Why is it so finely tuned? Um, and this is why they're going to, well, maybe there's zillions of universes out there that just pop into existence and we don't know why. But a much better explanation is that it was created by a conscious, um, powerful, eternal being. So is that five minutes? All right. I'll see you in a few minutes for the sermon. All right. Thank you.